Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today, uh, aptly enough, um, the show is going to be talking about something that um, is uh, being commemorated in another part of, of town in Los Angeles, um, and that is the memorial that's going on now for Stanley Tukey Williams. And my guest today and I will be doing a kind of psychological autopsy uh, Tukey Williams, uh, literally, and um, looking at where, how he got uh, from where he started to where he ended about a week ago. Um, we're going to be, uh, today the, there apparently are over 2,000 people, at least that's what the report is, in Los Angeles uh, at the memorial, and um, it is amazing. He is quite a, uh, he has remained or perhaps became even more of a charismatic figure throughout these years. Uh, Stanley Tukey Williams, as my guest will elucidate upon, um, was, uh, is a, was a convicted murderer who was put to death, um, as I said, about a week ago by lethal injection in California. So let me introduce my guest. Her name is Deborah Saunders. She is a columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle, but more than that, um, she has become, as she says, inadvertently an expert on Stanley Tukey Williams. Um, and actually, I heard you, Deborah, on uh, KFI, and, no, not KFI, 1070, KNX, um, in Los Angeles, and was very impressed with how knowledgeable you were and your opinions, because that was right before, that was before he was um, uh given a lethal injection, and uh, certainly there was a lot of controversy in the weeks leading up to that, and um, you had a very strong opinion, which I shared. So <laughs> why don't you tell us about, first of all, how you got involved in the whole Tukey Williams story? Sure, Dr. Carroll. Well, I mean, basically, I got interested in this case back when uh, uh, Mr. Williams was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. Now, I, actually, the LA Times had a great, piece a couple weeks ago about how what a meaningless gesture that is, how easy it is for somebody to be nominated. But this is something that people have made a big deal about. In fact, when the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals uh, uh, turned down uh, one of his many, many, many appeals, understanding he'd been in the court system uh, since he was convicted in 1981 for 1979 murders, uh, he had many, many appeals, and they said, well, in light of these uh, the fact that he had been nominated at this point several times for a Nobel Peace Prize, uh, the governor might want to consider that for clemency. And I was uh, just, so at any rate, I started writing about this when uh, when, when uh, a Swiss legislator named Mario Fair decided to nominate Stanley Tukey Williams. And I called him up and I said, you know, do you care that this man killed four people? Uh, is this really? And, and he basically said to me, "I don't know if he killed four people or not, but the, this this man is proof that you can turn your life around." And I, I've just been sort of astonished to watch this, the way that people have basically canonized Mr. Williams 
somebody who was a, a co-founder of the Crips gang. Uh, he, he killed four innocent people in two robberies in a brutal way. He shot a man in the back. He shot a woman in the face. Uh, members of the Yang family died very horrible, violent deaths. So why is it that there are people in this country who want to put him on a pedestal and make him a great man and basically completely excoriate and smear the reputations of the people involved in arresting him and prosecuting him, people who I think are the ones who deserve an award? Yes. Yes, I, I remember being very shocked as well that... Um, you know, I think that that, oh, there's so much to talk about in regard to this. I think that one of the reasons, I mean, I've been shocked, too, that so many people have rallied around him, especially in these recent weeks, to try to uh, have a last-minute clemency appeal. Mm-hmm. But I think part of it um, has to do with uh, people identifying with him or identifying with the wish of having a second chance, of having done things in their life that they are not proud of, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> let me just... Uh, That's not my phone. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <laughs> um, and uh, um, then wishing to have had a um, a second chance like he did. You know, and, you know, I'm really, you, go ahead. I'm really glad you brought that up because I received a number of emails from people who said to me uh, when they read my columns, you don't believe a person can change. That's absolutely not true. I do believe people can change. I believe pe- some people do and some people don't. But when somebody changes, you want them, you want proof of it, especially if they're in death row and they've killed four people, they've been convicted for it. And in the case of Stanley Tukey Williams, they, they had this whole myth surrounded about him, about how he turned his life around and apologized. In fact, I debated one of his lawyers on CNN, and the way they talked out of both sides of their mouth, it was amazing. Yeah. On the one hand, Peter Fleming said, this guy's turned his life around. On the other hand, he said he didn't do it. Well, which is it? Yeah. Now, uh, Mr. Williams issued an, something he called the apology, and that is a phone, and that's a fact machine. <laughs> they must a fact be calling machine. you. No, that's they a fact machine me. here. I'm guilty, and I don't know what to do about it, but it'll stop soon. At any rate, um, you know, the, the, he, he issued an apology that he put on his website, and the apology on his website was for nonspecific crimes. He was interviewed by Rita um, Cosby on MSNBC, and here he is. He's a founder, co-founder of the Crips, and he said that he's never been involved in any murders. So what's he apologizing for? He won't apologize for the four people he was convicted of killing. He won't apologize for other murders that you know. I mean, gang violence claims over 300 lives a year in Los Angeles. So he's only apologizing for things without, for which he doesn't have to take any responsibility, for which there are no consequences. I don't call that an apology, and I don't call that atonement, and that's one of the reasons why. I mean, I have to tell you, I, you know, I worked for the San Francisco Chronicle. This isn't exactly death penalty central. And more people walk up to me and say, you know what, that they're against uh, the death penalty, but in this case it's okay, mm. in part because they really resent this this campaign of lies. Yes. Well, you know, um, in looking at why it is that there are over 2,000 mourners today at the memorial and why he has been able to be such a uh, charismatic um, leader, even from death row, 
Um, I think, you know, we have to admit that part of it does have to do with racism. I mean, most of the people who are supporting him are African-American. Well, I don't know that most of the people supporting him are African-American. I think there are a lot of people who are who are white, uh, Latino, and Asian who believe that he got a raw deal because he's black. Let me just mention that there have been 12 people executed in California, and Stanley Tukey Williams is the second African-American. That's interesting. So while people look at race, and certainly, you know, I look at race in, in many stories when I cover the criminal justice system. I've written a number of columns about the drug war. There's a man named Clarence Aaron. He's in federal prison. I've been uh, for years pushing for President Bush to grant him, uh, to commute a sentence because he got a life without parole sentence for a first-time nonviolent drug offense. Now, that's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, and I, that's wrong. And I, frankly, I think if Clarence Aaron were, were white, he would not have had that sentence. Uh-huh. And you can look at a number of other people who were sentenced for similar crimes who just didn't get that kind of... of, of well, of a, yes. But we're talking about, in this particular case, a cold-blooded murder, but, two okay, separate well, robberies. What? Well, wait. But what I meant, let me just clarify what I meant by that. Okay. Um, you know, in a lot of things that Tookie Williams has said... Um, in interviews, or um, or for example, the fact that he mentioned in, is uh, in part of his dedication for one of his books. He uh, dedicated it to George Jackson, one of the black pan- a Black Panther. In the Mumia Abu Jamal, a cop killer who was an African American. Okay, and he's going to have his ashes sent back to South America. South America, yeah, South Africa. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, there were just little things peppered throughout um, the research that I've done on him that mm-hmm. show certainly that he um, has the feeling that strongly that, um, and and it is true certainly in some cases that, uh, and perhaps he's you know most of all believes this about himself that he got a raw deal because he's black. But I think that there is some of that spirit, you know. Um, being whether it's being black or being a minority, that mm-hmm. I think some of his supporters are latching on to that that we're getting a real raw we're getting a raw deal in society because mm-hmm. we're a minority. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right that that's something that people are jumping on to. Uh, but you know, again, factually, their argument just doesn't carry the day. For example, one of the things that they were saying is that uh, all the jurors who were black, all the potential jurors who were black, were thrown off the jury. Dr. Carroll, it's not true. There was a black man on the jury. Um, so, you know, they, they... Yes, of course, they say that he didn't... <laughs> it's a, sort of an ironic uh, argument, but to say, to say he didn't look black. They say he looked yeah. Filipino, you know, so that it didn't count and that the, the prosecutors didn't think he was black. So that's why they didn't take him off. And, and the other part about race that really pervades the story has to do with Stanley Tookie Williams. In the apology, which I mentioned, he apologizes for the violence that the Crips wrought on the African-American community. Uh, he doesn't apologize for killing a white man mm. and, and uh, an Asian family. In fact, uh, there, there were witnesses, you know, the friends of his said that he called them Buddha heads, and he made a lot of racial remarks. Mm-hmm. So um, I do think that there are times when the criminal justice system uh, discriminates against African Americans, and I have no desire to make light of how rough it must be at times 
uh, to be an African American and deal with certain people in law enforcement. This just is the wrong case to point to. Yes, yes, I certainly agree with that. And yes, and he made some comments about the white man that he killed as well, mm-hmm. the first victim. Good um, point. That he, you know, was happy that it was a white man, or words to that effect, I'm paraphrasing. Well, when we come back, we'll talk more about uh, the life and death of Tukey Williams with my guest, Deborah Saunders. She's a columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle and an expert on this man. Informative, educational, insightful. You're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Do you have questions concerning your personal portfolio? And would you like to know where the market's going before it gets there? Then you need to tune in to Elite Masters of Trading, hosted by the Traders Coach, Robin Dane, every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Robin has great ideas on how to invest, save, and make money. So become an elite trader in the market every Wednesday at 10 a.m. with the Traders Coach, Robin Dane, and Elite Masters of Trading, right here on the Voice America Radio Network. Information you need, when you need it. VoiceAmerica.com Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rack and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. This week on the Dragon Page with Michael and Evo, we've got three authors and one book. No, they didn't all write the same book. They have three stories inside of one book. If you're a writer of short fiction that considers yourself underpublished, take a listen to what we've got to say. All these folks are inside of L. Ron Hubbard Presents Writers of the Future, Volume 2005, and there's information how you can get in next year. That's this week on the Dragon Page with Michael and Evo. Every Saturday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Continuing to be the authority in Internet Talk Radio, you're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Carol, call toll-free at 1-888-335-5204. Now let's get back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. With me today is Deborah Saunders. She's a columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle and an expert on Tukey Williams, and that's who we are talking about today, the day of his memorial service. Um, you know, we were talking before about the uh, this 
uh, uprising, mm-hmm. so to speak, outpouring of sympathy for him um, from numerous people in an attempt to try to spare his life from the death penalty. And um, we were talking about uh, how race may have played into it, and uh, I was talk- mentioning when we were both talking about how people identify with him and um, who want to have second chances. And, you know, another aspect of this, um, one that I, I, you must have certainly picked this up too, um, the threats that, the, well, let's put it a different way. There were all these people right before uh, the governor, Governor Schwarzenegger, had to decide on whether he was going to give him clemency, and there were the few final appeals uh, that we had to hear about. But during those days, the week or two before uh, he was due to be executed, there were also people who came out of the woodwork to um, talk in the media and talk at various meetings or governmental meetings to say that they are trying to keep the community from um, engaging in civil unrest. Now, if that wasn't a threat, um, i.e. saying, listen, Governor, if you don't um, commute his sentence, give him clemency, um, we could have another riot here like the Rodney King riot. I mean, Dr. Carroll, I couldn't agree more. And what an insult to the black community to say that if this guy, Stanley Tukey Williams, is executed, people are going to riot. And obviously, guess what? It didn't happen. Yes. And I'm not surprised it didn't happen because why would people uh, in, in, in various L.A. neighborhoods want to rise up and protest against the execution of a man who not only killed four innocent people, but also founded a gang that has taken, you know, hundreds, thousands of black lives. Yes. Well, although I guess you could say that um, it opposed the other gang that's also taken thousands of black lives. But, I mean, yes, it doesn't make any sense. But, you know, um, I was actually concerned that maybe Governor Schwarzenegger would decide to grant clemency just because he didn't want, I mean, with his ratings falling as it is, he didn't want to have to take responsibility for race riots. Were you concerned about that? I'll tell you what concerned me. On the one hand, uh, and I was, and Arnold Schwarzenegger came to the San Francisco Chronicle for an ed board, and he talked about his mixed feelings on the death penalty. He talked about the Austrian side of him that opposed it and the American Mm. side of him that supported it. And you know something? There's no doubt in my mind that there's nothing he would like to do better than to commute a death sentence. Having said that, he cannot possibly commute the sentence for someone who says he's not guilty and clearly would keep appealing and trying to get his conviction overturned on a procedural basis and then walk out of prison. Now, I, I, I do. I really think that Arnold Schwarzenegger, given a chance, Given someone who admits to his culpability and asks for forgiveness, I think that the day will come, you know, I don't know how many how many executions are going to be while he's governor, but given a chance, he will grab it. But if he lets this case go, well, let's face it, everybody on death row is going to call up a publisher mm. and start um. writing books because, <laughs> you know, because to, to, to show that they've turned a leaf. <laughs> so there's no... He, in this particular case, was I concerned? Sure, because, you know, there's always this sort of unknown element with Arnold Schwarzenegger. You're never quite sure what he's going to do. Yes. But 
politically it would have been a mistake for him to anger his base, which was already angry at him about picking Susan Kennedy to be his chief of staff. She's a you know very uh, liberal Democrat. Um, but also, if he granted clemency in this case, he'd, and he'd also anger a lot of people on law enforcement, and he'd just open up the door to a lot of other bogus clemency appeals. And there's the risk that Stanley Tookie Williams would have walked out of San Quentin. Yes, I guess. And, and not because he's not guilty, but on some bizarre procedural ground that we haven't thought of, that he hadn't thought of yet. Yes, absolutely. But I'm sure, you know, I mean, it was such a, you mentioned that, that the, the black community was, um, may have been insulted by this, offended by this, n- not just because of the Crips killing blacks, but also, I mean, they were being so manipulated by these leaders, self-appointed leaders, who were trying to use the threat of this as a reason for why Schwarzenegger could, should uh, give him clemency. But it was, you know, I, I mean, you don't, I don't think, um, clearly they, they would see that they were being um, uh, provoked to do this, you know, that it wasn't that they thought of it and and, uh, and that they were really being held back by these people who said that they were barely trying to uh, prevent these things from happening, you know, they were barely able to prevent it, but rather that they were being manipulated into doing something because that's what these people wanted. But, of course, that wasn't what happened. And trust me, there are lots of, you know, the NAACP, I think, made a huge error deciding to adopt Tukey because racism does exist in this in this country, and there are white people who very, very wrongly associate black with with criminal. And why they want to take this guy, who is clearly guilty, and yeah. make him their model, I don't understand. I think it was a big mistake. And I know a number of black people who looked at this case and thought, this is the wrong guy to put on a pedestal. We're not happy about it. And obviously, again, for all of the the claims that South Central was going to erupt, it just didn't happen why? Sh- I mean, why? Sh- why would it have happened? Well, I mean, if they were whipped up into a frenzy enough, I guess it could have happened. But you know, the other point—they were trying to make the point, as you said—that um, that, uh, you shouldn't join. Well, he was trying to make the point that you shouldn't join a gang. I mean, this is what his books were purporting, and how that was a mistake, and um, you know, and how and. His supporters were saying that this is why he should be spared, so that he can continue to try to work against gangs. But at the same, and that this would be an important lesson that we needed to teach uh, the youth and people in general. But wouldn't it be, um, why wasn't anyone, or perhaps you were saying it, and I just didn't hear you on that particular interview, but I didn't hear anyone say that it would be a lot better lesson for um, would-be gang members to learn that if you commit murder or engage in a life of crime, that you could be, well, you're certainly going to be put in jail and you could be executed. Yeah, I mean, I, Dr. Carroll, I, I think that's true. I think that, I think that the, first of all, the books will live on no matter what. So to the extent that they've helped people, and I haven't seen a lot of uh, factual evidence that they've helped people, we certainly know that the crime rate's high, the murder rate is high from gangs in L.A., but... Uh, we don't. We need to have truth in sentencing uh, in this in this country and in this state. And what I think the lesson people are saying the lesson that you got that kids got from Stanley Tukey Williams is you can turn your life around. To me, the lesson that they got was that you can kill four people 
And if you if you hit the right buttons and you sort of plug into this white liberal guilt thing, people will make any excuse in the world for you. Yes. And and you know it this really bothered me. I, I know people, a lot of people who are opposed to the death penalty. It's not my opinion, but I completely respect it. And a lot of those people were appalled to watch the way that the Stanley Tukey Williams, um, you know, the Tukey Files, as I call them, just sort of would would, would parrot anything that he said. But let me tell you a few things about uh, him that people may not know. One of them is that his own lawyers uh, argued that he was brain damaged uh, during the trial or at the time of the crimes. Now, that sort of belies the fact that he's supposed to have written all these books and it belies the notion that many of his supporters were saying before the execution. They said he has so much character that he won't admit to a crime, even if he thinks it would help him live. Well, he didn't have a problem having his lawyer say he was brain damaged at the time of the crimes or during the trial. He also, and then you know, you wonder why, why, why did a jury find him guilty, and why did he get the death penalty? Because he planned an escape. From jail, he was willing to kill people during that escape, and he wrote notes. He had plans written out. Uh, this is in his own handwriting. So we're not talking about a saint. Yes, and of course he was involved in a lot of um, violence when he was in prison. You know, but but to go to the the brain damage uh, question, they were saying that he was brain damaged by mental illness, by substance abuse. And by head injuries, do you know anything more about that? What mental illness were they saying that he had? I don't recall that part. I, he he was involved. He was wounded in his career, so that's part of what they're talking about. In uh, his the mental career, illness, I'm sorry, I, 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 that skips me. But I have to explain something to you, and that mm-hmm. is, I didn't find this. Pre- to be a particularly compelling yes. or convincing argument at the time. So. <laughs> so you didn't do much research into it. Yes, well, I mean, obviously, he's still been able to um, to create a lot of mayhem, or was while he was in in uh, prison. And and that was another interesting thing, that if you look at the, at the uh, life of, or the prison life, well, actually, uh, of George Jackson, the Black Panther, and his... Um, violence in prison, and also his brother uh, created a um, burst into a, a courtroom with a machine gun and freed prisoners and took a judge as hostage to try to help him to escape. So, I mean, I think he was patterning his life after him. It sort of belies the uh, I'm a reform man argument, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> Yes, it does, and who knows whether something like that wouldn't have happened if, you know, if there had been more time or if he had gotten clemency. He t- and he tried to escape from, uh, from from jail when he was in L.A. during mm-hmm. the trial. Well, well, that's interesting. I didn't know that. We'll have, to, we'll have to continue with that when we come back. My guest, Deborah Saunders, a columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle. We're talking about Tukey Williams on the day of his memorial. I don't know, is that, um, is that bad? I mean, uh, we're actually, the point of all of this is hopefully to get to the truth and, uh, and to show people that, that, um, although certainly it's a good message to not join gangs, it's an even better message to go after the truth, even if you are on death row. 
But we'll continue with this when we come back. And uh, you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And stay tuned for more. Bringing the world together. You're listening to America's Voice. VoiceAmerica.com Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Are you feeling stuck in some part of your life? You might have some crust busting to do. Crust is anything that you think, feel, or believe that prevents you from living life full out. Step into the crust-free zone with me, Dr. Pat Basile, and get ready to do some serious crust busting. Join us on Thursday mornings on voiceamerica.com at 8 a.m. Pacific time for crust busting your way to an awesome life. Do you know that over 70% of Americans with severe disabilities are unemployed? Are you one of the 2.5 million Americans with epilepsy? If you are or know someone struggling with these issues, tune in to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. On the show, Joyce will discuss these issues as well as others. She will have on nationally known guests that will offer helpful insight on disability matters and let you, the listener, call in with your questions and concerns. So if you struggle with a disability or know someone who does, listen to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. Heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time here on VoiceAmerica.com. Cutting edge. Challenging. Stimulating. You're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. When tax time comes, are you the person that goes to your accountant with a shoebox literally full of receipts? Stop wasting your accountant's time as well as your own by organizing your finances with the help of Joe Dunphy and Poor Richard's Shoebox. Heard live every Monday at 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, Poor Richard's Shoebox will let you know what you can do to organize for tax time as well as how to get the most out of your retirement. So get all of your receipts together and tune in to Poor Richard's Shoebox with Joe Dunphy every Monday at 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on the Voice America Radio Network. Business, sport, religion, legal, pets, entertainment. You're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Carol, call toll-free at 1-888-335-5204. Now let's get back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're doing a psychological autopsy on Tukey Williams, Stanley Tukey Williams, with my guest Deborah Saunders, a columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle, and a, an expert on Tukey since she has been writing about him ever since she was appalled, <laughs> as I was appalled, 
by his having been nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. Of course, I was thinking about this. So was Arafat. I mean, I guess this being nominated, (laughs) you know, you mentioned the L.A. Times had a piece on that. Is it that that anybody could sort of write in and nominate, you know, their neighbor or, or... and it doesn't really mean anything unless they're accepted? It doesn't mean anything. Basically, any legislator from certain countries and then their professors from a certain set of universities can nominate mm-hmm. anybody. It's, it's meaningless. Um, I could be nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, and, uh, I mean, there's a long list of people who have been nominated, and it's a list of shame. So, uh, but it's one of those things, that, I mean, I, for a while I, I was calling uh uh, Stanley Tukey Williams, the Nobel Peace Prize killer, because that's, you know, but they, they somehow seemed, and he got nominated right before he got executed again, but it, it's a gimmick. It's not real. It's like everything about his so-called atonement. It's a gimmick. Well, let's, um, uh, let's just look a little bit about, I, w- I wanted to mention um, something we don't really know that much about his early childhood, but um, what we do know is that he was born in New Orleans, uh, New Orleans Charity Hospital, to a 17-year-old mother. And, I mean, this is sort of the classic case. It's a mother who's 17 and a father who deserted the family before he was one. And he wrote about that um, in his autobiography, Blue Rage, Black Redemption. And uh, apparently, when he was about six, he and his mother took a Greyhound bus to California and moved into an apartment in South Central Los Angeles, which is, um, you know, I guess the, one of the worst neighborhoods of Los Angeles. But um, he, to him, I guess compared to the neighborhood he was living in New Orleans, living in, in New Orleans, um, he thought it was a, a, an affluent-looking neighborhood, and he described it as a shiny red apple rotting away at the core. Um, it reminded me of when I came here from New York and saw what they were calling the bad neighborhoods of Los Angeles, and it does look affluent compared to many other cities, you know. It's not and what then, you think it is. <laughs> well, right, on the outside, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then um, in 1971, so when he was, well, when he was about eight or nine, uh, he joined the Crips street gang, which had uh, over... He was older than that because he was 51 when he was executed. So in 1971... Well, he was born in 1953, well, December yeah. 1953. Uh-huh. So, um... Uh, I, okay, well, 71. 71. I didn't he, mean to interrupt you. He joined the, uh, the Crips Street Gang, and, um... You know, it's interesting, as I'm sure you know, the various stories um, as to where they got the name the Crips in one report, it talks about how the drunken members of the gang routinely mispronounce the name Cribs as Crips, and it stuck. And then in another report, um, it is reported that the they were originally called the Avenue Babies in regard to how young they were, and then the name Cribs um, came from that, that then got to be uh, Crips. Because the crime victims uh, described them as being young men with canes, as if they were crippled. But as a psychiatrist, what I find interesting about that all of that is that um, really the genesis of a psychopath, which uh, Stanley Tukey Williams undoubtedly was, 
Um, no, I have never personally examined him, but from what I have uh, read and heard and seen, um, that would be my tentative diagnosis. And um, the the time in life when people um, uh, are sort of turned into psychopaths or begin being turned into psychopaths is essentially when they are in their cribs and they um, don't get enough nurturing, they don't get enough love and attention, and um, sometimes they're abused. I don't know that he was necessarily, but um, or neglected certainly, um, and and that's sort of the beginning of a psychopath. Um, and and so it's interesting that by their name, it's as if they want to return back to being babies in a crib to get the love and attention and care that they didn't get when they were younger, when they were actually in cribs. That's interesting. I mean, I, I certainly have heard, I've never been a gang member, I've certainly heard people say that gang is a substitute for family. Yes. So, I mean, I guess that supports your argument. Yes, yes. Um, and he and he wrote something about, uh, I think in one of his books it was about why, um, about wanting to join a gang and, and feeling like you belong. So, it, yes, it's all... Uh, part of it, wanting to feel as though if you don't feel like you belong to a loving, nurturing family, then you try to find this this substitute family to belong to. So, you know, I heard an interview um, on the radio by uh, someone who you probably know of, um, Ron King, a childhood friend. Have you heard him or read any statements of his? Um, I'm not sure. Well, what he said, and again, this goes to sort of the psychological genesis of of a killer. Um, he said that his Ron King said, who was Tuki's childhood friend, said that Ron King's mother reminded Ron King that Tuki had always wanted to be, even as a child, the baddest of the bad, mm-hmm. and that um, he had managed to get his wish. You know, if, if you think about it, I mean, not that there aren't people, serial murderers, who mm-hmm. killed more, but um, more people. But, mm-hmm. you know, in a sense, um, through his notoriety, he certainly could be called the baddest of the bad. Well, I mean, that's sort of part of the the whole way that uh, the packaging of Stanley Tukey Williams. On the one hand, he's supposed to be a co-founder of the Crips, uh, this incredibly bad guy who then turned around and became a, a man of peace. Um, I guess then he wanted to be the goodest of the formerly bad. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I really find it fascinating how how there are so many people who uh, flock to him and really would believe whatever he said. Mm-hmm. And even though they had evidence to the contrary, I mean, you know, you, you saw people saying, we just want the governor to not execute him. That's all we're asking for. Well, if a lawyer says Stanley Tukey Williams didn't kill these four people, Albert Owens and the Yang family, then why would they be satisfied with him being in prison for the rest of his life? Mm-hmm. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense. Um, and, and so there really was this double message that I have to tell you, I think really turned a lot of people off, including a lot of people who are opposed to the death penalty, who felt, can't we just oppose the death penalty in an honest fashion? Do we have to make this man out to seem like he's a saint? Mm-hmm. 
You mean to just oppose the death penalty on its own and not say that it's this particular man who deserves yeah. not? Yeah, I mean, in other words, just say, please, Arnold Schwarzenegger, grant this man clemency. We don't believe in the death penalty. Mm-hmm. Instead of, please grant him clemency because he's atoned, when you know he hasn't atoned because he's never admitted to these crimes, he's never apologized to the families, he's never done a number of things that somebody who actually really does atone would do. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And don't say you just want uh, to put off the execution when you know that there's this whole legal uh, effort to get him out of prison. Yes, and and you know that was kind of interesting too that there were well first of all I wanted to say he, he was he's obviously a very you know, brain damaged or not um, he's obviously a very intelligent man because I mean you can tell that in I know his books were edited but um, you can tell that in statements that he made in interviews transcripts of interviews um, that you know really he's very clever um, I don't know you know in, saying intelligent as in uh, uh, the next rocket scientist, but he's very clever, at least in his own uh, defense or, you know, in, in promoting the image that he wants, but even in committing his crime. I mean, one of them, for the first one, when he shot out the um, the monitor in the 7 it was a 7-Eleven store yes. when he killed Albert, Albert Yes, Owen. before he killed him, he shot the monitor and then he killed him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the other... Uh, I mean, there were just certain things where you could see that this was, I mean, it's so sad that a man like this uh, used his cleverness to do, th- I mean, yes, okay, aside from the books that will hopefully keep people from joining gangs, but I mean, mm-hmm. so much of his life um, had to, and even in the, it's not just his early life, it's not just that he made these mistakes um, with these crimes, it's even in the current, well, <laughs> the recent um, time when he was trying to to do and say what what he um, thought was necessary to get clemency. I mean, he's been he's been clever up to the end. Even um, you know, in how he he took control of. He didn't have a last meal. He didn't give his last statement to the warden. I mean, he was he he was so concerned with being in control. Mm-hmm. Although I have to tell you, I mean, this is a, this is a nitpick, but. There was story after story about how he didn't want to have anybody with him and he didn't want to see people watching him die. And then, of course, he changed his mind just like he does everything else. He changes his story. Uh Uh-huh. I hear the music. Yes. (laughs) At least we know it's just to uh, take a break, (laughs) not the music of the executioner. Yes, we do need to take a break. My guest today is Deborah Saunders, a columnist from the San Francisco Chronicle. We're talking about Tukey Williams. Um, when we come back, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, his ability to uh, seduce, if not literally, then certainly psychologically, mentally, uh, women, including the co-writer of his books, Barbara Becknell. So when we come back, we'll talk more about Tukey Williams. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host. Dr. Carol Lieberman. Bringing the world together. You're listening to America's Voice. VoiceAmerica.com Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. 
Dr. Carroll is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Go beyond success and discover a deeper meaning to life. Join host Jeffrey Gitterman and his guests, the premier thought leaders in business, politics, science, spirituality, and culture who have reached the pinnacle of financial and professional attainment in their fields, only to discover a profound lack of fulfillment with what our culture defines as success. So won't you tune in every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time to Jeffrey Gitterman and Beyond Success, redefining the meaning of prosperity, right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. You want the truth? Face the facts. This is voiceamerica.com. Depend on it. Hello, this is Rory Garay, President of Greyhound Pets of America and host of Greyhounds Made Great Pets on Voice America. Join me every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific and 2 p.m. Eastern for an insightful and enjoyable talk about one of man's best friends, the Greyhound. Learn about the history of the Greyhound, discuss proper obedience and training techniques, and find out more about the Greyhound racing industry and what they are doing to help the adoption effort of the former race star. If you own a Greyhound or just love dogs like I do, join me for Greyhounds Make Great Pets every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. The world leader in Internet talk radio. radio. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Carol, call toll-free at 1-888-335-5204. Now let's get back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're doing a psychological autopsy of uh, Tukey Williams, Stanley Tukey Williams, with my guest, Deborah Saunders, a columnist with the San Francisco Chronicle and an expert on Tukey. Um, before the break, I was talking, starting to um, ask you about Tukey's uh, influence on women, particularly his um, Barbara Becknell, the woman who is his um, uh, editor. Co-author. Yes, co-author. Mm-hmm. And who helped him edit the books, and who helped, who got a publisher for him, actually. Um, it, and do you, what do you know about that relationship? I mean, it seems that she's smitten with him. I don't know whether she's married or not. Not that that matters. She's still, she's still on some level smitten by him. And yes, there is a, a general. I should know this since I wrote the book Bad Boys: Why We Love Them, How to Live with Them, and When to Leave Them. Mm-hmm. Um, there is one of the types of bad boys of the. T- Twelve types that I write about is um, the type that is in prison and uh, sort of the baddest boy, and which is what we were talking about that Tukey Williams wanted to be, um, and their ability to charm women who partly because they want to rescue them and, and um, just for various reasons. But what do you think was the case? What do you know about her relationship with him? Well, I know that 
I interviewed Barbara Bettnell years ago, and when I asked her about how a man who's brain damaged could write all those books, she hung up the phone on me. Huh. So we never got to get real chummy. Um, but I do think, you know, I mean, I, this is something I've covered over the years. I think that when a man is in prison, he has a lot of time to think about what to say and how to act around people. And you're never going to see the real person. Um, I, I, I debated Bianca Jagger on this, Mick Jagger's ex-wife. And, you know, I'd see a lot of people who would talk about how when they met Stanley Tukey Williams, you know, he seemed like such a, a, a distinguished person and he was quiet and peaceful and all of this. Well, I mean, you know this. You've written about bad guys. It's it's easy to be on your best behavior in prison. It's sort of hard for you can't, it's hard for you to run around with other women. And it's hard for you to do yeah. a lot of things. And so I think he's been able to um, really put on this persona of, of of being this man of peace that I just haven't seen any proof of. Uh, you know, I spoke to this group of students a few weeks ago, and I was there with Rebecca Owens, who's the daughter of Albert Owens, yes. uh, of whom for, uh, and who Mr. Williams killed. And I was telling, it's a group of, it's like, I don't know, a thousand students or something, and I said to them, you know, girls, when you date, there's just one thing you got to know. You don't go by what a guy says to you. You go by what he does. Yes. You follow how he behaves. And if you look at the behavior of Stanley Tukey Williams, then you know he didn't apologize. You know he didn't atone. You know that he was convicted for killing four people. He had this uh, alibi defense that absolutely crumbled because it was bogus. He tried to escape from prison. I mean, everything about you tells you that this is not somebody you want walking free. And yet, I don't know, there's this psychological need, and you know more about this than I do, for some people to feel like they're rescuers who are the only people who see the good in someone, yes. even if it's a guy who shot a man in the back and a woman in the face. Yes, yes. Well, I, I describe it as um, the lion circling the village, that, um, you know, everyone's afraid of this lion. He's he's very powerful and uh, threatening. And if you can be the one to pull the thorn out of the lion's paw, then that makes you the most powerful person in the village. Interesting. And what happens if he doesn't have a thorn in his paw? <laughs> well, then I guess you get mauled looking for it. <laughs> You know, I I um uh I I that must have been a fascinating experience uh talking along with the the his wife, Tuki Williams, I mean not Tuki Williams, the wife of the of the man who was killed because I I was reading about how she uh, and was this true at the time um she was sort of in his favor saying that he shouldn't be um given the death penalty and yet his the stepmother of that same man, the same first victim, was against him, as was his children. Actually, I was with Rebecca Owens, Albert Owens' daughter. Oh, the daughter who I yes, was, okay. So and the daughter she, was not asking for yes. Arnold Schwarzenegger to grant uh, clemency. Yes, that's right. Um, the two daughters were were against it, along with their um, with their, I guess, stepmother. Right. Laura was, Owens, the stepmother, went to the execution. Rebecca didn't. Um, I, I'm not sure how the other daughter feels, and I know that you're right. The ex-wife has said that she wanted Arnold Schwarzenegger to commute the sentence. The Yang family has been incredibly quiet, 
And, and I'm not going to get into details about this. This is a very tragic family story. But let me just say that when, when, when a man is murdered, the repercussions that ripple through his family, they last for decades. Yeah. And that's certainly the case here. Rebecca Owens was devastated by her father's death. And it hurt her to no end to see him. In fact, she thought growing up the family was uh, not particularly intact. She'd been told her, her father's killer had been executed. Hmm. So she was shocked to discover not only had he not been executed, but he'd been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. Hmm. Wow. And Pretty of course, sad. Yes, and of course that obviously tore that family apart if you have... You know, well, there's all this misinformation also, but I mean, if you have the ex-wife thinking that he should get clemency and, and other family members thinking that he shouldn't, it tears, continues to tear the family apart. One of the saddest things I saw, Laura Owens was on Larry King, and uh, one of uh, the Tuca files read a statement from uh, Albert Owens' ex-wife saying what a horrible uh, step-grandmother Laura Owens mm. had been. And, and I've talked to Laura Owens uh, over time, and she wouldn't respond. Her attitude was, but, but you know, it really irritated me to see the way they're willing to smear everybody. Yes. Even a grandmother, even the stepmother of a victim, yes. saying she wasn't good enough, and she refused to, to throw a volley in the other direction and, and say anything mm. else negative about the family. Mm-hmm. And Larry King sort of said, well, you know, why, why not, don't you speak up? Well, not everybody wants to say negative things about family members right. on national television. <laughs> right. Hmm. Even even people with whom they're squabbling. Yes. That was very sad. Yes. Yes, it is sad. Well, perhaps, uh, perhaps now, you know, it'll be interesting to see. What do you think is going to happen now? Do you think that... Um, he is going to continue to be more of a martyr, or do you think this is all going to kind of um, dissipate? I don't. I mean, I think that you're going to see a few people who will always sort of, you know, say he didn't do it and and, and uh, ascribe to that whole theory. But frankly, um, a lot of people didn't really care about him. It was more principle, and they were willing to say whatever they said to help push for the commutation. But you know. There are certain death penalty opponents. It's all about them. It's all about how wonderful they are and how how horrible somebody who supports a death penalty is. Mm. And you know what? There'll be someone else that's going to be executed, and they'll glom onto that person. Uh, it's too bad that they that they have so little regard for people who you know the people who are the heroes in this story. To me, are uh, the law enforcement people who. You know, it's not. It's a it's a dangerous job. They risk their lives keeping the the streets safe. Robert Martin, the prosecutor, they smeared him as a racist. There are a number of people in the district attorney's office and the attorney general's office who put in long, thankless hours to see this case through and make sure that uh, somebody who who was just a cold blooded killer was not allowed to get away with this phony story and be turned into a saint. Those people are heroes to me. Yes, and as you point out, it was uh, here one of the one of the founders of the Crips um, is on trial, and obviously it is a particularly uh, dangerous. You know, it's a lot more dangerous to um, to prosecute him than someone without 
all those ties, you know, who uh, won't be able to get people to to get revenge just at the uh, at the <laughs> wink of an eye, you know. Mm-hmm. So yes, they do deserve credit. Not to say, however, that there aren't some people who do plant, um, you know, who do uh, tamper with the evidence, but it certainly doesn't seem like that happened here with all of the people who reviewed all of the evidence and, and all of the appeals that went on. So let me thank you. Uh, our psychological autopsy has ended, and uh, and probably so has the memorial service about now, unless it's going to go on all day. It should mm-hmm. be interesting to see what his final wishes are that may uh, lend some support to some of the things that we were talking about today. My guest is Deborah Saunders. She is a columnist with the San Francisco Chronicle, and you can read some of her articles if you go to sfgate, as in San Francisco, gate, G-A-T-E, dot com. S, San Francisco, sfgate, dot com. Deborah Saunders. So, Deborah, thank you very much for joining me on Dr. Carol's Couch, and um, I hope we've been able to share some insights that that go behind the story. There's been, um, you know, just so much rhetoric, so much uh, trying to convince people, and, and and if you don't take the time to look uh, into the story as you have, then I think people just somehow forget these murders happened 20 years ago, as you're. As the man said in uh, Switzerland who nominated him for the Nobel Prize, I don't know what he was doing 20 years ago, as if that makes it not count somehow. That's right. Anyway, I'm glad that you're willing to to look at this, look at the facts and think about the victims. I appreciate that, Dr. Carroll. Well, you're very welcome. And um, join me next week for the next edition of Dr. Carroll's Couch. Uh, again, if you'd like to read some of the articles of Deborah Saunders, you can go to sanfranciscogate.com. It's really sfgate.com and uh, learn more about Tukey Williams. And again, join me next week every Tuesday from 1 to 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on voiceamerica.com for Dr. Carol's Couch. And I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.